Hi, and welcome to A Time to Thrill. It's me, your host, Amy Austin. It is October, and I am thrilled to welcome today's guest, Sunithia Williams. Sunithia and I started publishing um, at the same, or sort of our publishing journey, more or less at the same time in 2012, when we published romance for an imprint that was sold, sold again, and is long closed. Um, in romance, publishers and imprints come and go at an alarming speed, but new ones always crop up because romance is one of the leading genres. It's a huge industry and has nothing but voracious readers. So what is super interesting about Sneathia is that after that imprint closed, she continued on this publishing journey that has included um, category romance, single title romance um, with Harlequin, as well as women's fiction. It is a super interesting ride that she's been on because she grew up at a similar time that I did when Harlequin did not produce romances with um, black protagonists outside of the Kamani line. But starting in, I want to say about 2006 or seven, that changed. I remember standing at a conference in San Francisco and Harlequin had a room, um, one of those ballrooms in this hotel where they had a signing and Brenda Jackson was featured at the signing because she was going to be one of the first black authors to publish in a mainstream imprint. My best recollection was that it was Silhouette um, Desire and that was huge. A, because I used to read before Silhouette and actually Kamani and a lot of things were separate publishers and Harlequin bought a lot of them in the 80s and 90s. Um, but Silhouette Desire used to be a completely separate um, publisher, uh, Silhouette of Category Romances, and Desire was one of the imprints that I read um, from Silhouette and then from Harlequin I read Temptation and Blaze. Um, and when Harlequin took them over, they used to be a little bit more similar, but um, they changed, um, Desire went more alpha billionaire and Temptation turned into Blaze and became more sexy, um, angsty romances. That's a lot of background. But, so it was such a huge deal when they opened up category romance to non-white heroes and heroines. And it is so interesting and actually deeply gratifying to see um, African-American authors publishing in mainstream lines and no longer segregated to various ghettos in libraries and bookstores. And Sunithia has been sort of at the forefront of that huge shift in publishing. And it's just amazing to like go into Target or Walmart or whatever and see her books among other um, white authors. So I am super excited to talk to her about her journey, um, what she writes, and who she is as an author. Um, the other thing that's unique about her is that she does work full time. A lot of authors, well, they certainly have like children and a lot of things going on, but not all of them hold a full time uh, professional job. But she does that as well as is a prolific writer because in the time that we've been publishing, we've actually written the same number of books and I don't have a full-time job. So other than writing. So I think it's spectacular that she's able to have this balance, have a family, have children and do all of it amazingly successfully. So without further ado, let's get to my interview with romance author, Sunithia Williams. Hi, and welcome to A Time to Thrill. I'm so excited. This month, I am featuring romance author Sunithia Williams. Hi. Hello. It's so good to have you. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, I have followed your career since we started together. Oh, my God. Like, probably 10 years ago. <laughs> I know. It crept in. Oh, my I, God. It was like forever ago. <laughs> it was. It was. It was. Um, but we share that background. Yay. Um, <laughs> But you've kept writing romance. I actually, I think I just stopped writing romance three or four years ago, and I only write um, legal thrillers now, but that's not before I wrote a whole bunch of them. So <laughs> I, um, sometimes I say this podcast should be called I Have So Many Questions because I'm really 
intensely curious about people, which is why probably I write books, but the curiosity spreads, spreads outside of that. And I, I have, I get that. I get um, that yeah. you know, so I, every person like I've encountered over the last, I don't know how many years. I'm like, I have so many questions about how their life goes, but you know, you can't ask that. So then you have a podcast and you can. So, um, very smart of you. Very, very smart. <laughs> so I want to thank you so much for doing this. So, um, let to give, I guess, listeners a little background. So, well, at least for me, my, my knowing you has to do with um, being published by Crimson. It was the first publisher that published uh, for me two romances in 2012 and 2013, I want to say. I believe I signed the contracts in 2011, but I believe they came out in 2012 and 2013. And so how were those your first books? They were. Um... <clears throat> And it was twenty, yeah, twenty twelve, which is gosh, ten years ago. It is. Um, that went by so, so fast. freaking fast. I know, but yeah, it was. Those were my first books with Crimp. Um, first romances that were published ever was with Crimson. I had um, made the decision about two thousand ten to seriously, and I'm making air quotes with my fingers, to seriously <laughs> write. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not just going to scribble on these books here and there and then one day dream of being a published author. And right. so 2010 is just when I say, yeah, let's let's do this for real. And so I, I finished a book that I had been working on for years. I don't, I don't even know how long. And put it out there I did not at the time I did not think I wrote stories that traditional publishing would be interested in but I also did not think I had the time or energy to go independent and Mm -hmm. so I thought oh these digital first book prints these these publishers is is who I need to go with so it's Mm -hmm. kind of like I'm not worried about breaking the you know the traditional what were they the Big five or big six or whatever they were back then. It may have been more than six back then, but yeah. I know it may have been more back then. I was like, I don't have to worry about trying to break into New York like an actress breaking into Hollywood. I don't need to worry about doing it all on my own. I can, you know, go this route. And so I I particularly look at publishers that were like Crimson. And that was around the time a lot of these digital imprints were coming up. And um, I had a couple of offers, but I really was excited about what Crimson was doing at that time because they seemed to be really excited about romance and wanting to put um, books out frequently. And even the editors I had then, I still follow some of them online now because they were so helpful with kind of developing my earlier writing style. So, okay. yep, those are my first books that, that they did. So wait, one was You Can't, is it You Can't Find Me Love? No, what was it? I remember yeah, the cover. I love yeah, that was the first one. And that was that was the 2012 book. That was the very first one, August of 2012. Like okay. I just celebrated 10 years published wow, okay. um, that last August. I, I remember the cover so well. I remember so many of those covers very, very well. I don't know, I know. why, but I do. I will <laughs> never, like they're imprinted in my head. So, I mean, I know you've changed covers and all that, but those ones are still, I can see it in my head. Those are still there. So did you end up publishing three with Crimson? That's my best memory, but I could be wrong. I actually ended up doing seven with them. Oh, I did, um, maybe I tuned out after three. I mean, not you, but I just may have <laughs> tuned out in life. I know. With everything, it was so much going on. So it was the first three I did, You Can't Plan Love, Worth the Wait, and A Heart to Heal. And then oh, I Worth the Wait. Shopping. I remember that. Sorry. Yep. yep. I was shopping around um, what later was just my type. I don't know what it was originally titled when I was shopping it around. And I had an agent at the time who I am no longer working with. I don't think she was really jiving with my writing style or whatnot. And so it was after me and that agent kind of split, I think I went back and offered um, just my type to Crimson. And then I did that four book series with them as well. So it was seven books total. Wow. Okay. So I have a lot of questions, but we need to go back. So I I asked this of everyone because actually I'm going to say this, people's stories have turned out to be very similar, but what, how did you start reading or consuming romance? Um, very cliche is of the 13 year old. I've been reading romance since I was a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> you hear a lot of romance oh, authors say, um, I, I did the, go into the library. I grew up in a small town in South Carolina, um, been in the South, been in South Carolina my whole life. And our library was where I would go and they would have like, you know, romances in the 
turning turnstile. I remember the spinny cart. Spinny cart thing, yeah. <laughs> and I would I would get some from the library and then I realized, oh, they have this neat little card in the middle where if I fill stuff out, I get mail in like at twelve fifteen. Oh. Of course you want mail to come to you to your house. And so I filled out the little card and I probably never paid my fees. They <laughs> <laughs> sent me my first three books. And and that's just kind of how it started at the library. And then filling out that little card and those Harlequin books to start getting some free books. And um, also growing up in a small town, we had a flea market, but we didn't call it a flea market. This is really country. We call it the jockey lot. And so- you Oh my God, I've never heard that before. Sorry. I know. I don't know anybody else who says that. I've even asked other country folks and they don't know it. So <laughs> it might have just been specific to our area. But we go to the flea market or the jockey lot and they had this guy there who just had books and you could get as many books as you wanted for like five dollars in a bag and I just remember my parents would let me just come home with this huge bag full of books and it was mostly pre-owned books or whatnot Mm -hmm. and I would kind of go home read the bag and I immediately sort it to yes I'm going to read this maybe after I'm done with the yes stack and no I'm never going to read these because I didn't read them at the flea market right. I just shoved them all into oh, the bag so wait, wait 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 okay I have to ask you what was your criteria for the bag shoving it had to be the cover um because at the flea market um, it wasn't really the category. So that's when I really started reading historicals. So it was like the historicals. And then if there was a historical that looked, or, or a cover that looked not historical, like there would be some of those futuristic kind of mm-hmm. thick romances from the zebra imprint mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like, oh, that looks weird. Shove it in the bag. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, that looks like, you know, somebody on a horse, you know, shove that in the bag. I did not want to read like, um, Southern Confederate kind of historicals because I mean, grew up no, I don't, I don't read those. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I was just like, I wouldn't put those aside. I didn't really read a lot of <clears throat> westerns. Um, I didn't want those. I shoved those to the side. So it was mostly a lot of futuristic or the Regency England kind of stuff is what I was shoving to the bag, and then separate when I got home. Wow. Okay. So okay. okay. So the li- did the library then have the category, and then the flea market have the Every, I won't say everything else. Yeah, pretty much. The library had the category. And then um, once I discovered I can get tons more books for like just a few bucks at the mm-hmm. flea market, that was, I was mostly, let's go to the flea market every weekend. It was oh. a joy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So my, so, so you don't have, so it wasn't your mother, grandmother, aunt, older sister. So you don't have that. Um, particular. So then what was it do you think about the romances in the little spinny carousel that caught your attention? I think it's just because I've always been like that, that girl who loves love. I remember um, in kindergarten, you know, having a quote unquote, you know, Sinithia and the little boy that she likes and like we're having a fantasy wedding at indoor recess when it rained. <laughs> and I watched <laughs> soap operas with my grandmother when they babysat me and being like, oh, I want to love like Bo and Hope or, you know, like I was always that person who enjoyed romance and happy stories. And, and so when you read a romance, you get that happy story. It's, it's, it's going, you may go through stuff, mm-hmm. but you know, we all know at the end, you should get a happy ending <laughs> now and you happy sigh and you close the book and you're like, oh, the world is a little less bleak today because that book brought me so much joy. And I think that's what it was. I was just enjoying the romance of it. And I will admit, as a, te- as a preteen or whatnot, I did enjoy the ones that did have like good loves. You so. <laughs> did. And they, they amped up about the time I hit puberty, which was, I think, convenient right. um, given my age. So, oh, I, I, I just, okay. So what, okay. After, let's say now that you could look back, what were the tropes or themes that caught you the most? Let's see. Um, I think it's probably some of the tropes that still catch me. Um, well, if there true. was a, a love triangle of some sort, mm-hmm. you know, you're with, you. Ha- duty says you should be over here with this perfect person, but then the rake comes along <laughs> and he's 
who you really want to be with right. and you have to do that um I always liked brother's best friend kind of stuff mm-hmm. you know I've always loved you from afar and you finally <laughs> noticed me today <laughs> and we can be happy together I I like those um and yeah, I like the alpha a holes. I was really big on that ah. coming up, and even to a certain extent now, I notice that when I watch some K dramas, and I'm like, "Oh, he's a jerk. You should definitely be with him." So- <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I I watch those as well, so I I, I know how that goes. Um, the more yeah, fun, the yeah. better, but that's a whole conversation. So. What, so then, because to me, this seems like a big leap. Okay, so romance is this like $4 billion industry. Clearly, lots and lots and lots of people read them, but obviously a much smaller percentage write them. So what gave you the, I don't know, the confidence, the wherewithal, what was it in you that said, I should write these? Um, I've always been a a writer too. I have um, somewhere in this messy office, a book I wrote, well, a book, a story I wrote in like fifth grade. I remember writing a story in first or second grade and I made the cover out of wallpaper. I've always been a scribbler of stories and making stuff up. And in high school, I was handwriting a romance novel. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I still have those. I wrote two books in high school. They're 300 pages written single space, um, notebook paper I still have those books that I wrote but what got me in high school is that I'm just sitting there writing my story and then somebody's finally like so what you doing I'm like oh I'm writing a book and like let me read it I'm like sure whatever and then it got to the point where I would finish a writing a page because you know we're Mm -hmm. not doing math (laughs) Sneethia's writing Mm -hmm. and I'd finish a page and somebody next to me would be like give me that page and then they read it as soon as I finish the page wow um and I think that was probably maybe the first time I thought oh well maybe I'll be a writer one day but you know Mm -hmm. you go to college you get married you have kids you get jobs Mm -hmm. and so the romance writer dream goes on the back burner but even when the dream went on the back burner it never went away I was still scribbling stories and having ideas and I'll write a chapter or start a book and then just save it and go on and do life again. Right. But what coalesced in 20, whatever, let's say the, the, the 2010, 11, 12 years. It was the, um, it was a friend. Well, a, a coworker, we were at lunch that day and me and her worked very closely together on projects at work. And so I, I really enjoyed working with her. And then she said, Oh, I put in my resignation today. I'm moving to somewhere and I'm going to law school. And and I was floored, like, what? Mm-hmm. We don't do law. Like, we, we do environmental stuff. Why are you going to law school? <laughs> and she was, said that she was talking to a guy who was doing environmental law. And she said, that's so cool. I really wish I could do that. And he looked at her and said, you can do it. Why not? And so she thought, that is true. Why not? And mm-hmm. so she moved her whole family. She's going to law school because the guy said, why not? And her conversation struck me because even though I don't want to go to law school, not for not seriously, mm-hmm. but I wanted to write, and it just kind of hit me like, well, I don't want to go to law school right now, but I do want to be a writer, and I need to quit talking about it, and let me just do it. And so I always credit to that going to lunch with Megan that day, and her saying, "Yeah, I'm going to law school." So, you know, mm-hmm. and I was like, you know what? I, ca- I think I came home and told my husband the story, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to finish that book that I've been working on, and, and I'm going to actually try to get it published." And he said cool do it mm-hmm. and so and so I did I uh, researched publishing um, I had always seen Romance Writers of America in all those books I had been reading for years That's so I said yeah. let's figure out what this is you know <laughs> <laughs> let's go figure find those people and let's join and oh I should I'm like one of those planners if I'm gonna be a writer I should join writer groups and so I found writer groups and it was like I should get Writer's Digest magazine because that's a book about a magazine about writing I'm that person Mm -hmm. so all the stuff that I could find and start consuming to learn more about how to write how to publish that's what I started doing and that's how I ended up making the decision of 
indie versus traditional versus digital imprints and how I wanted to write. And let me find books. Let me find books about how do you write romance novels mm-hmm. and how do you write novels and all that. So, oh, I need to be on social media. Let me get books on that. I read Twitter for Dummies. Like, let me figure <laughs> out how to do this thing called Twitter that just came out. So that was me. I just took a very, like, I take a lot of stuff. I took a very methodical, if I want to do this, let me learn what I need to do in order to make it happen. Okay. That's, that is so amazing. Cause it, it's that kind of spark. I had that kind of spark. I was just thinking about this guy um, named Chris. Uh, he divorced somebody I knew, but one day we were talking about, I was like, he was just studying. I don't know where it was a coffee shop. And I ran into him I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm studying yoga teacher training. I'm like, I've always wanted to do that. And he's like, so why don't you do it? And I was like, huh? <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, but sometimes, sometimes, sometimes people just clear the way for you. They're like, why not? And you're thinking, I don't, I literally didn't have a good excuse. I think I went and signed up the next day. Like I just literally, when he said it, I was like, well, that's a good question. I'm going to get this coffee and run away. You know what I mean? (laughs) But um, That's exactly how I felt like, yeah, if I really want to do this, why can't I? All right, let's do it. Yeah. Um, So what, oh, let me say this. So when you did the Crimson and you said you stayed for seven books, what was, what year was the last one you did with them? I don't. Oh, geez. I can't even remember. It was probably, um, 2014, 2015 ish. I think my last book with Crimson came out at the same time I was writing. I, I think I was working on my last Crimson books when I started working on my first Kamani's. So that was probably about 2014, 2015 when oh. the last one came out. Okay. So I have to ask you this because I have so many questions about this. How did you come to write for Kamani? So let me say this. I have a lot of feelings. Um, so maybe <laughs> I should get that out. So when I was like, I don't know, 13, 14, 15, I don't know. I think I was in middle school. My mother said she came home. So I used to read romances by the bucket. I'd be at the used bookstore. I'd be at the library. I'd be at, um, they call them tag sales where I live, the garage sales. Um, and so I would go to these tag sales and I would, you know, come home with a bag of books for a couple of bucks or whatever. So my mother comes into my room and she was like, there are no black people in any of these books. And I was like, that is hundred percent true, but this is what's available. And so she brought me a Kamani book, but Kamani was independent, an independent publisher before they were purchased mm-hmm. by Harlequin. So I read them at that time. Um, and then who knows what happened, but I will say this about Kamani. One of the issues I had with it is that that was the category line for like black romances for Harlequin. Mm-hmm. What, I'm a trope reader. So what I always found difficult because my mother or other people would say, well, why don't you read them? And I picked them up because I felt so guilty that I wasn't reading um, books about (laughs) black people written by black people. Oh my God, the guilt. So I picked them up. But the issue I had is that I liked, I'm going to be like, I'm very specific. I like, like I have two like Harlequin lines I would read like blaze or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I had a very specific thing. I wanted like these four tropes, like friends, the lovers, like, you know, captured whatever um yes no whatever and I was very specific and I needed a certain level of heat and the issue that I'd had with Kamani is that when I opened the book I didn't know what I was gonna get and a lot of time they were like billionaires I don't do billionaires and (laughs) and I was like but this is not what I want so it was hit or and the heat levels were hit or miss sometimes the religious themes were hit or miss and I was like this is like all over the place okay so these are all my feelings now let me I'm done talking about my feelings so what but this is later so i'm gonna be honest i don't i think i i, I don't know i read a lot but i haven't read a Kamani book in a long time so what was the shift okay so how did you decide to write for them because Harlequin, everything you're saying yeah i felt it <laughs> i didn't read kamani's <laughs> you know they say read what you're going to try to write for i didn't read kamani's as a matter of fact, I never looked at Harlequin when I first started. Mm-hmm. I didn't think they were going to take me seriously um, because my Crimson books were a higher heat level and they're messy. Like, I write messy stories sometimes mm-hmm. and they're not perfect characters. And I think um, at the time, the Kamani requirements were even like, the, I don't even remember the wording, but it was basically these have to be super perfect, awesome black people that can never make mistakes. There's no <laughs> yeah. babies out of wedlock. You know, it's like none of that stuff that I would throw. Like <clears throat> mm-hmm. in my books, you can do in a Kamani. Um, and they had actually, because the 
the agent I had previously, or, or maybe I did, I don't remember, 10 years ago, stuff blurs, but they had rejected um, one of my books mm-hmm. that I think I sent just as, it was sent as a one-off, not like a, yeah, let's see, but they don't want my stories. Right. <laughs> and um, there was a contest one day that Kamani was holding, like a right for Kamani and, and pitched something. And I was like, Kamani doesn't want my stories, but let me um, pitch this ridiculous wild idea that I got because I was deep in the throes of Idris Elba fandom okay (laughs) (laughs) and I was like what if you want to date with Idris Elba in New York City and fell in love wouldn't that be amazing Mm -hmm. and so I just kind of like wrote that up and sent it in like watch they take this like this is not my serious story this is just Sanithia thinking that this is something super fantasy that you know mm-hmm. they may go for but and they took it and I was like oh for real <laughs> I was just playing around because <laughs> I didn't think and because there wasn't a lot of places for black romance writers to go mm-hmm. then you know you had Kamani and then you have Kensington's Defina line right and those were like only two black black folks only mm-hmm. and it's the same thing you say it's like the whole mixed bag you just throw it in there you got to you got a prince book, you got a, a sports person, you got a billionaire. Let's just throw them all together. We don't care. It's just because they're black. I know. And you're like, this is not, well, for me, this is, I, but I don't want that. I want this, you know, but that's mine. Right. <laughs> and there may be one in that batch that came out that month. And then you don't see it again for two more months before the next one comes out. So there were very specific Kamani authors that I read. I did not read everybody who wrote for Kamani, but there were specific people who I knew I liked their stories and I could, I like their writing style. And so those were the only Kamani authors I really read. So I didn't just read everybody across mm-hmm. Kamani. Right. And they took the story, which surprised me. Mm-hmm. And then they said, we also want you to write three more books for us. And I was, at the time, I had broken up with my agent. <clears throat> I really didn't have any kind of other plans on the horizon. And I was like, sure, I can expand the story he's got two friends I can write this you know mm-hmm. series are born from the main characters having friends mm-hmm. and I wrote the two other I wrote his two friends and then the third friend because he was a basketball player um they offered a three or f- no four more book deal and this is the thing with Kamani which I realized now looking back mm-hmm. they were notorious for being like take this four book contract <laughs> <laughs> and we're gonna get you on the long haul for four books you know every six months they they were good at that of being like here's three book contract here's a four book contract and I think that's how they just kind of kept things going but Uh, when they offered the four books I was already the third person in the first three books I was like oh well he's a basketball star so I can just write out the rest of these I was very um lucky that Kamani really didn't try to um hamper my writing style much now I do have some readers who when they read my indie books and they read my crimson when they got to my Kamani's and it was toned down a little bit more they were kind of like this isn't this isn't what we wanted Sneethia but like we still like your writing but we didn't you know it's not as out there um as some of your other stuff um which I got that but I knew that was part of writing for Harlequin Kamani line and yeah Harlequin um they even in one of the books which is the one that you know people really like guarding his heart it was um, one of the sports ones when i turned in the proposal he's got four kids by two baby mamas right mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and kamani the, the editor was like i don't like this can you take this away and i'm like nope it's already been established two books ago that this dude got four kids two baby mamas so y'all gotta publish it (laughs) so that was like the end of that argument and that's probably the only hard stance i really had to take i'm like i'll i'll tone back some of the language and i'll um still make it spicy but not too spicy so i felt like i was still able to write the kind of the story that i wanted Mm -hmm. um but I just knew that because I was writing for that line, it may not be as as messy as the stuff I had written previously. So can I ask you this? So how many books did you end up writing for Kamani? Three, seven okay. for them as well. And yeah. so were you with them? How can I say this? Were you with them when they closed the line? 
or were you at that? Yes. End? Okay. So had they, yeah. had they gone to, this is, I, I may be conflating this with another line because I obviously I know a lot of authors, but for your line, did they go to E only before they closed and then stop doing, or no? No, they did print. And then actually my last Kamani book came out as a as a double printing so they put my book with somebody else's book I'm looking around my room I don't easily see it Mm -hmm. but they that's what they did for like that last line of us who were coming out for that that last year Mm -hmm. um they did just do like a two for one and they put two books together and they put them out which again was infamous for Kamani because it's like I, I don't know if they always said these two authors write the same kind of story. Let's just put their books together. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was still the, these authors books were coming out of this time. We're going to put them together right. and kind of put it out there. Yeah. Uh, I remember, well, I, I remember all of that. So what, okay. So I guess, okay. I have two questions, but let me start with the first. When you were writing for Kamani, what was it like writing for Harlequin? Because most people I know who wrote for Harlequin, started there so the strictures and structure that they had was the thing that they had coming out of the gate but you had been published obviously seven books before you got to harlequin so how was it change uh, how was the editorial how did you manage their their particular because okay let me say this harlequin is known for being fairly strict with either word count or trope or kind of character or the baby mama like all of these things are known for being fairly strict about what characters can have do be and but if you started there it was you started there but if but you starting somewhere else how was the how was it different how did you navigate that shift yeah yeah well I think um part of it is I'm really good about playing by the rules I'm I'm that person Mm -hmm. if if the teacher says we have to read this and do this program thing by the end of the day I'm gonna do it Mm -hmm. so I'm (laughs) one of those people um and so when I did the one-off yeah this is a it'll just Elba fan fiction story and they took it and then offered I knew okay if I'm going to accept this deal then I have to play in in the sandbox right. now so I, I I knew I had to prepare myself for playing in that sandbox I was very fortunate or maybe I'm just I don't know I was very fortunate in that the editors I had the comments they gave back weren't comments that made me want to bang my head against the wall like okay. the closest one was when they were like um I don't like this can he not have these baby mamas right. it was too late <laughs> but the other stuff you know if they if I put a curse word in or if I called um if I didn't use shaft but use I don't know how, how much cursing you allow, but if I, yeah, if I said dick yeah. or shaft or something, they're like, no, you can't use dick. Um, <laughs> then I played this game of let's sneak dick in my books. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like, see if they can find it. And the ones they found, okay, I changed it. And the ones they didn't find, I just leave. Yeah. So I would play that kind of little <laughs> I would play that game. Um, what can I sneak in the book? But the like curse word problem, I don't have a problem if I had to tone down the cursing. And the word count restriction, for me, um, we talked about it a little bit before we got on about how I work full-time. Mm-hmm. Having the word count restriction as a full-time, uh, full-time worker and uh, writer it's kind of good because I need deadlines. I need structure because if I'm working during the day, my writing time is very focused and structured to make sure I get it done. And so it actually felt easier because my other books were 75, 80, Mm 90,000 words. And then my Kamani is like, Oh, all you need is 50. (laughs) Yeah. I got you. You know, so it's just like, (laughs) I I could sit down and focus. I can get this 50 word novel out. Um, I also, with both of the the series they took, there were stories that um, I had pitched. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a, a Harlequin author, and I'm still not a Harlequin author who's gotten the, we want you to write the story, and we're going to give you the outline, and you fit it. Yes, it comes Everything. with a heavy Bible. We used to be paid, yeah. right? I don't know what it is now, but yes, yes. <laughs> right, right. I, I never got that offer, and so I was able to write the stories within the world that I created, and I can make them, still make them the characters I wanted them to create. Um, I actually remember another comment. I think in the last book, The Best Friend, 
was the one who betrayed the heroine um, because she it was a it was a brother's best friend story and the best friend did not want her with her brother mm-hmm. um, because she thought if you're now my brother's girlfriend or then you you can't be a full best friend to me because now my secrets are automatically his secrets right. because there's no secrets between people in relationships. Right. And I did have an editor who who said, I don't know if I like the 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 friend is saying this. I would you consider it? And I said, no, this is based off of a real conversation I had with some colleagues. So this is real people's feelings, mm-hmm. and they backed off. They left them. Wow. Out, and okay. Let me that in there um so that's probably the only other one so maybe you're bolder because i know people who were upset but i don't think anybody i knew actually pushed back um so you know like you know i mean we're adults so basically we're talking about how we're upset you know what i mean and then then they go write the book you know what i mean like you know because you know as adults you got to keep sometimes keep all your feelings you know you you got to deal that conversation with your friends before you go back and not act like you're crazy so i (laughs) So I realized maybe they never pushed back. I'm going to have to ask about that because I have a number of friends who wrote for Harlequin and had those complaints, but I don't think they felt that they had the agency to push back. And this is like 20, 25 books. Um, so that's, that's interesting. Okay. That's just an interesting thing. I'll keep it in my head. So one thing I was, so when I was looking, okay, I have not read all of your books. I have read like two Crimson books. I mean, there's like 25 of them. I don't expect everyone to have read all of them. <laughs> um, I, trust me, I get it. So what, let me see this. Okay. So let me, how can I say this? So every time I see that you have like a new book, I'm all like full of pride because I was like, oh my God, she's, she's writing for HQN and she's like a black woman writing for HQN and thank goodness and whatever. So, but that's me back in the corner. But what, how did you end up making the leap to HQN? Because you're the, well, no, there's another Naima. Um, I wrote some books for H, just wrote a book. Oh, I don't know. I'm losing track of time. But how did you yeah. make that leap to that single title imprint as it were? That I, I I still am surprised that they took that book. Um, so I had a new agent by then. I was pitching the story. I, I, my commodities were done, the line was closed, and I was in that you know moment of oh woe is me, what shall my writing career now become <laughs> um, kind of thing. And it was DV Pit, Diverse Pit, or one of those uh, Twitter pitches, and I put out there. You know, and I think the hook was something about a violinist uh, comes home and is swept in her brother's political campaign and realizes she's still in love with her sister's ex-husband or something okay. like that. That's how I pitched Wow. And, <laughs> and I was like, because I had this book idea and I was talking to my writer friends and I was like, I want to write this soapy, messy, you know, I grew up on Young and the Restless and God and Light and all that. I want to write that, but with Black people. Mm-hmm. Like do it, and I was like, yeah, and so I'm <laughs> pitching it, and then these publishers are like, oh no, that's too messy. We don't want that, or we can't connect to the characters, or you know, mm-hmm. all the jazz they tell. Right. And so I, I wasn't, sh- I didn't think anybody was going to write it. I didn't think anybody was going to publish it um, because it has such a potentially taboo topic of you know sisters ex-husband right. and I had read, read another story I forgot the author's name and I, I read her her book on purpose because it was by a larger publisher and it was the sister's ex-husband trope mm-hmm. and I read the story so I'm like I know it's been done and I know people will do it and I know y'all let a white girl publish it so somebody might take mine but it may be a little bit harder for me mm-hmm. because they're black mm-hmm. um, but HQN liked it and um, Michelle my editor um, she really liked it. <laughs> she came back and she was like, we want to do this story. We want to do this whole series and we love your voice. And, you know, we think you're very similar to like Miss Jackson and, and we want to have you as part of HQN. And, and I was just kind of like, seriously, <laughs> me and this book? Oh, you do realize it's messy and it's soapy, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yes, let's do this then. And that's kind of how it happened. So it, it, it got rejected by some other places. But uh, I, again, like the fact that I write for Harlequin right now mm-hmm. is a dream of 13-year-old Sneethia getting those Harlequin books right. from the library. Mm-hmm. Um, but in 2010, Sneethia never would have imagined that I would be writing for Harlequin because I did not think I wrote stories 
that would fit the Harlequin brand. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess obviously I do because they've published my Kamani's, they've published me HQN. I've switched over to Special Edition. I have some more HQNs coming out next year. Um, so it's just kind of like, you know what, Sneethia, maybe they will write stories that you, they will There have been enough that I think you can be <laughs> safe on that. So can I, what is it like writing for Special Edition? So I have read, you know, oh, so we were talking about how we, how you follow authors. There are authors I have followed um, who have written for different, like eight um, different Harlequin lines. And so the only special editions I've read are by authors I follow. Um, and you're like, oh, they're writing this. I'll read this. Um, and what I had enjoyed about those books is that they were longer and they had more angst. But that's me. I like angst in romance. Like the angstier, the better. Me too. Um, yes. You know. I read one romance where the conflict was like they live 35 miles apart and I was like that's not no 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 that's that's, that's not that's enough not that's not a conflict y'all yeah. can move halfway in between and we can just cut this so I was the Hunger Games to get to him in those 35 miles I, know. I, like, I need something <laughs> exactly I was like he was you live in Cincinnati he lives outside Cincinnati I feel like you, if there's not a lot of traffic around there I feel like you could you could you could manage it you could live in Kentucky I have I could find you a house so <laughs> So that to me is not conflict, but I like a lot of angst or where they have the same wound, but it's like a different sort of thing. And so how have you liked writing for a special edition? Because it seems like it may be, I don't want to say more up your alley, because that's not really fair, but it's a line that allows for a little bit more word count and angst. <laughs> yeah. So the, and it's, I swear my career is a fluke, but it's probably not. And I probably should stop saying that, but I felt like it was the same way that I ended up with special edition as a fluke. Um, but no, it's not a fluke, Sneethia. Stop saying that because they like it. But I was, you know, the story idea I was pitching around because um, um, I, I, I was still writing the HQNs and HQN didn't want like my ghost ghost investigating story Mm -hmm. which is fine i get it because i knew again almost like with my with the sister's best friend i knew this is kind of a different idea right i don't know if everybody gonna want this idea of um these three dudes that investigate ghosts it's a romance but it's not quite paranormal like eh, i want to write paranormal one day so let's like dip my toe in it kind of lightly but i didn't know if i was gonna want it and i went through the same thing of pitching and my editor, my agent sending it around and some people being like, mm, no, no, thank you. This is not what we're like. We don't, we can't connect all that jazz that they tell you. Mm-hmm. And I had one publisher who wanted it, but what they wanted me to do was turn it into a romantic comedy. And they were going to, they wanted me to redo the whole beginning. And I had just come out of, writing two books for Kensington Dafina under a pseudonym because they insisted that I don't publish, that I publish women's fiction under a different name. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that was a, I did not want it. I, I did it as a, Hey, let's see how this works, but I didn't enjoy the process. I love those books. Mm-hmm. Those two books I wrote as Nita Brooks. I love them. Mm-hmm. And I'm happily tell people to read my Nita Brooks book, but the process of, going through that I did not enjoy and so when they came back and wanted me to change my whole ghost investigating stories I was like "Uh uh-uh I just came out of this other situation either take the book as it is or move on Mm -hmm. um and then special edition came back uh my editor there she was like I love this story I think it's great I don't want to change it um and it just needs to be what 60,000 words right. and I think my draft was only like 66 and I was like oh that's easy I can cut 6,000 <laughs> um, and I was like as long as they're good with the story as it is they don't want me to change it they like it and and they're cool and I think I needed that after the Kensington experience and after the um and the other publisher wanted me to change it because mm-hmm. I think I could be funny, but I'm not a romantic, I'm not a romantic comedy writer. I think you know? that's the hardest have... job. I mean, I know people who do and I don't, yeah. I don't, ugh, whatever. I don't understand how they do it, but okay. And I don't want to claim that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I may be funny. You may chuckle as you read my books and you may laugh out loud at some things, but I'm not a romantic comedy writer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? That's not my aim. Um, and that's how I ended up with special edition. And I think that's why I've enjoyed writing for them because it's been the same thing. They haven't, um, 
wanted me to change my story. It's a little bit of some of the, okay, you know, sneak in word, dick it, that <laughs> It's still been some of that. And, you know, you know, that's pretty much been it, sneaking that word and, and maybe not so much cursing, which I was able to say all that in the HQNs, the single title books. So it was just a re- reset for that. But the process has been great because they've just let me write the story that I envisioned. Oh, um, okay. So I'm going to, I did not know about your little women's fiction side, side, side journey. So wait, you wrote two women's fiction. I love women's fiction. It's like my, I don't read it as much because it's the same issue with Kamani. It can be hit or miss. So there's Adirondack chairs on the front, but you don't know what you're going to get on the inside. Um, mm-hmm. So it, you know, it, it, it can be totally hit or miss. Um, but it's really like, I think at its heart, like my absolute favorite genre, because I love like a long messy story where women have sometimes a romance, but also a lot of other stuff going on. So how did you take this little side trip to women's fiction land? I was pitching um, a romance and it was almost like a spinoff of, so I had my last book in, um, that I wrote for Crimson Mm -hmm. from One Night to Forever. And I really wanted to explore that world I had kind of touched on. And so I had a loosely adjacent story that I was pitching. um, And when Kensington saw it, they were like, we want it. But then they said, but we want to make it women's fiction instead of romance. And I've so far in my career, and I think a little bit less now that I've been in it 10 years, I was still in the, okay, I'm willing to give something a try phase of my career. Like, you don't want to make it women's fiction? All right, cool. I knew Kensington was doing that. Mm -hmm. I had seen them do that with some other authors. Mm -hmm. Say, we want to make this women's fiction or we want to do this whatever. What threw me was after we went through all that, it was the we want you to do it as a pseudonym. Hmm, I don't care because that's cool. I get it. You know, romance is one thing, women's fiction is something else. So readers, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I'm cool with that. But it wasn't until we were really into it that my editor was then like, then like, no one must know that Nita Brooks is sneaking Williams. She is a debut author. No uh, connection to Yeah, the whole debut author, author thing. We, we, this thing. I know that people have done like five different times. They've been a debut author. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes you read books and they're like, debut author, you're like, my foot, because their writing is so amazing. And you're like, I this looks like they have a whole career behind them that we don't know about. But anyway. It was very <laughs> weird and frustrating. And so you're Nina not Brooks, the only one, but yeah, I know. Anna, who did it. And like, I'm on panels at a Georgia book event with Jasmine Gilroy and I'm acting like the newbie and she's the the long-standing author and I'm like no shade but I've written more books than her but I can't say that like I have to sit here like yes I'm the new girl you know so I, I didn't that whole experience of being Nita I didn't enjoy but I did enjoy the books and I appreciate the readers um who read those and I did a book club with a reader group who read the essence of perfection and they talked about how the struggles of Nicola and her sister really touched them and made them reevaluate things in their lives and made them cry and I'm like oh my god I was in such a bad place with that publisher when I wrote that book but thank you (laughs) so oh okay so I have two big questions but I guess the first one okay let me I'll save the bigger question for later so when did you come out of the closet as both as Nita Brooks and Zanithia Williams. My editor left. And when I got a new editor, I said, hey, and I didn't, and I'd only had two books, a two book contract with Mm -hmm. them to write um, as Nita. And so it was like, well, my previous editor said that you all didn't want me to do this, but now these books are out and she's gone. Do y'all care? And the answer was like, oh no, we don't care. Go ahead and do that. You can can put your books together. And I'm like, was this, publisher or was this the editor uh, I, I know, know. <laughs> I'll never have the answer to that question um but yeah so after that then I was like peekaboo hey I mean it was ridiculous RWA 2020 I'm like running around in a wig I'm Nita Brooks at this thing I'm sneaking at something else like I'm at the Kensington party my editor's introducing me to people who know me this oh, is Nita Brooks and they're like yeah. oh we know who she is you know it was oh, yeah. like such a big old mess it was hilarious <laughs> oh my god that's I okay that's a whole oh my that's a whole nother story that, be a, that would be a lovely comedy 
Um, but I don't write comedy. <laughs> I feel like I, <laughs> but I want to call like Pippa Grant and like Deanna right now and <laughs> tell, ask them to write it. Um, okay. So I, I, the other question I have is about women's fiction. So when I was coming up, a lot of authors wrote for Harlequin um, category lines and their goal or their ultimate whatever plan was to write women's fiction, whether for whatever the predestination came out, I can't remember what it's called right now or something similar, or, so, or something New York, some New York women's fiction. And a lot of them made that transition, um, I don't wanna say willingly, but that was the goal. So for you, that was not the goal. No, it wasn't, and it's still not. Um, <laughs> I, I, would, I would revisit Nita. I have people who ask me, would I ever go back and write more stuff? And, and if I ever wrote women's fiction again, I would probably still do it under that name, mm-hmm. unless, you know, um, but, my goal, I've never, I'm just now starting to think really beyond romance. I want to write paranormal romance. I really want to write like people boning in space or something, <laughs> a space. Rom- I, I, I still like romance and I enjoy it. And I do feel like, because a lot of authors I started with have quote unquote grown up to other things. Yeah. And I don't want to do it, say it that way, but that's sort of at least, okay, in the that's 70s and 80s, yeah. that's how it was characterized. It's like, you have now been shepherded through this tunnel and look at what you can do now. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and I see that, and I'm very, very happy for them that they have grown into these other genres and they're doing great in those areas. And um, for me right now, and I still work full time, right. I'm happy writing romance. I'm good being a romance writer. I, it would be great, yeah, maybe to try something one day, but my goal isn't to grow into a historical fiction author right. or to grow into a women's fiction author mm-hmm. or anything like that. Um, that just happens if, I, if the it way. does, it will, it, yeah, if it happens, it'll be because this fluke of my career put me there, but as of, you know, September 2022, it was not because Sanithia planned mm-hmm. <laughs> to turn her career into that. Right. Okay. So the other thing I did want to talk to you about was working full time. So um, I don't know, I was, and I said this to you before the recording, I don't know any other authors that work full time. Of course, somebody's going to call me and be like, what about me? And I'll be like, I forgot. So, because <laughs> I could see that, but I really don't. So what has it been like working full time and then also managing like an entire other career? I mean, you know what I mean? You're like, it's not as if your, your, your side hustle is like working two to two hours on a Sunday in Walmart where you can just leave it alone when you leave. Right. So it's a, it's, it's one career and then a second whole career. <laughs> I, so before I've, I've switched jobs this year and it's like a whole different shift. So before writing was my um, brain cleanser from the day job. Like my day job is, it can be very technical. It's like engineer people. It's like policies and plans. And it's like all this like serious stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I enjoy it. I, I enjoyed my day job mm-hmm. and what I did. And so, and I'm also Invested, like I started young enough that I can retire at fifty. Like I'm. Oh, the thing we were just talking about. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, the light is at the end of this tunnel. I see it. Um, and so I was able to balance it by I would write on my lunch break, or I would sketch out scenes. You know, if I had a a a break at work, and I would write at nine o'clock at night. Um, and get a thousand words a day and and all that kind of jazz. And my vacations were book fun, book events and book Uh, things. And it would help kind of replenish that well. Mm -hmm. And I would still do like girls trip and family trips and all that, but I was able to balance them both. And then when people in my day job found out about my writing, I've been very fortunate. I haven't worked with the jerks or, of people like snooty and looking down their nose. Yeah. Everyone has been like, that's amazing mm-hmm. that you do like this stuff. And then you have this whole creative side over here. And they're like, because they're like engineers and policymakers and stuff, they're like, how do you make that work? And so then they're <laughs> impressed. They're like, because I'm awesome. But <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> but I've in my day job, this year, I've progressed to where I thought I wanted to be career-wise, but with the um, 
extra responsibility and time that takes, I am now noticing day job creeping into and tapping some of the creativity and me not being able to focus on the writing as much. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm at this crossroads of, I like writing almost a little bit more than I love the day job stuff. Not quitting, still got to retire and all that. But it is making me reevaluate the career trajectory I had professionally Mm -hmm. is no longer what I want. That is um, so interesting. I I wanted. Yeah, because yeah. in middle age, as I'm right in the st- the middle of myself, mm-hmm. I have noticed that people have had I don't want to say like they've had that internal conversation where I always wanted to work for I don't know pick your large company or I always wanted this dream job, this dream company, this dream position, and getting it, they realize that either they like their individual contributor role better or it's more I don't want to say more responsibility than they want, but it has changed the architecture of their lives in a way that they did not anticipate. And um, yes, yeah. And I don't know. It's just interesting because I feel like sometimes you just don't know until you do it. What exactly what what it'll be, what it will be. So do you think then that you will, so do you have a, so I, and I was telling you this before we recorded that I know a number of people who are like cops or firefighters or some job that had like a, you know, 20 years and out. And so if you started at 20, by 40 or 45, you were out um, military as well. And so then they then they did the full-time writing while also having the pension and health insurance that one needs to, you know, <laughs> because we live where we need to have like a, yeah, you know, a backup plan. So, <laughs> um, so do you think that that's sort of the trajectory that you have where at some point then you can have, how can we say this, a safety net, and then also um, dedicate yourself to the creative full-time? Yeah, I think I may um, continue to evaluate how, because I'm gonna, I, I'm, I'm gonna keep working. Like the people who know that I write, like, when are you gonna retire and write full time? When are you gonna quit and write full time? And I'm like, I'm not making um, Harry Potter money. <laughs> oh, Harry Potter money! I'm not there. I'm, I'm, it's like Fifty I'm Shades money. There's so many. Oh yeah, I'm not making Fifty Shades money, right? I'm not that person. Um, I'm just making enough money where I can go to a couple conferences and, you know, mm-hmm. buy me some tiaras, like chill. So <laughs> it's like, um, I'm going to continue to work, but I think what'll probably happen is that I may, um, my day job focus may shift, shift a little bit. Um, and so that I can make it through to retirement. And I would, when I retire, I don't even know if, if I retire from my day job, if I will, stop working I'm almost kind of that person who may still work somewhere else like I have this dream of being a full-time writer but I need a little bit of structure and I don't know and that's what I was gonna ask you because you know so with the indie boom a lot of people did quit their jobs to write full-time and not everybody could handle the shift uh, yeah. So let me say this. Well, I never really worked full time for a long time. I, the longest I worked full time was like a few years. And so I'm the, I'm the wrong person and I work for myself. So then, you know, I can do what I want. So, so the shift for me wasn't hard, but I'm a fairly structured person, but I have found that people, I don't know if it's the structure or the, they felt like they had to be more prolific. Like it was very intimidating to go from whatever to full-time creative. Yeah, I, I want to be like my dream of like, let me retire and then I want to write full time and I want to be that person's perfect part time admin assistant. Right. <laughs> I just want to reserve the conference room and make sure everybody knows it's Joe's birthday and it's cake in the break room. Like I don't want any like, I just want to be able to show up and like do my little thing and then leave. Like that's probably what all I would want. That's like my vision of I, I still would and I, I get it from my dad. He can't sit still either. Mm-hmm. And my mom always tells me I can't sit still. So, so I think that I would still have to have something part-time somewhere just for the structure of it. And then, because it works for me now, like if I have all day to write, I'm not going to write. But if I know I need to write and be done by two o'clock because I have to, after two o'clock, I open my afternoons up, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel like I would still need that structure. Like, oh, I have to 
you know, oh. have blocks of time for stuff. That is so interesting. Um, the secret I will tell you is that um, those of us who are at home writing full time don't write full time either. I mean, honestly, like, <laughs> look, on days when I have to get my word count done because I have to be somewhere, I'm, it seems to be quite effective. But most days I putter around. It takes me like 10 hours to write like three words. Um, and in the meantime, laundry, I mean, like lots of stuff happens. Facebook, yes. who knows? Yes. But um, there's no... I don't know if the human brain, I'm going to be honest. I mean, there, okay. There's always going to be some outlier, you know, people who write 20,000 words. I don't know how they do it. I, I, one day I'll yeah. figure it out, but I don't know if the human brain can sit down and do that sort of output. We're not machines. Um, so I right. think that that's the hard part and what you do to fill the well on the other side or give the left brain, the workout on the other side is the other thing. So I mean, different people do different things. I have other things I do, you know, like I'm like knitting, like, you know, this pattern and I have to count and all this. So then I can freely have the other part of my brain work. But I do think that for most people, there's a balance. So whether or not that's paid employment or whatever it is, they do have something else to engage the other part of their brain so that when they sit down to do the creativity, they can. Yeah, that I'm definitely going to need the the something else now. How How involved it is, you know, we shall see, but I do know that um, it'll be nice to make it to 50 and be able to have all the, you know, like you said, the pension and oh. all that jazz, but <laughs> still. and I also view it as I can go do whatever I want to do. Right. Like I could go be a barista at Starbucks if I want right. to, I can be whatever I want. And so that's, that's kind of how I'm viewing it is I can write, but I can do whatever I want and have a whole new set of experiences that hopefully will help with my creativity right. more that's kind of that's my romantic view of what that is going to look like it may be true but it may take some you know uh some finessing to get it to be exactly right yeah yeah <laughs> um so i'll ask you this last question um that i i often ask people i mean i'd ask everyone because who knows i don't remember but ha okay like 25 plus whatever books in do you have a sense of a certain theme or story that you're trying to tell or some, something that's a common thread throughout your entire, um, um, little, your entire book catalog? Um, I was having those thoughts when I kind of started saying that I write sexy, messy, emotional romances. Oh. And I noticed a, a, a theme across a lot of my books is, imperfect characters I do not like perfect characters <laughs> and so I try from the very beginning to write stories that reflect um what you may see in your coworker or your family or things like that I want I want to explore emotions and relationships and I want to explore the ones that are messy and not perfect and show that those people still deserve love or still can find a way despite all of the other weird crazy stuff that may be going on or, or, or things that people may not agree with going on in a relationship I, so I think that's one of my big things is that I always wanted to write human black people like regular old black folks who just like live in their lives and they may make mistakes and they may not have it all perfect and polished um but they make it work. And so I think that's why I did push back with the, yes, he's a professional player and he's got two different kids' mothers because mm -hmm. he made mistakes when he was younger. But that doesn't take away from him still being a good father and being deserving of love. Or, yes, her best friend um, betrayed her for a selfish reason. But guess what? This is a real legit thing. I, I had this conversation with somebody. This These are feelings. So if, if there's somebody else out there. One of my readers may have felt that or observed that. And so, and they found a way to try to work through that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's my theme is that, you know, they're not going to be perfect because life isn't perfect. People aren't perfect. No. <laughs> um, but that still doesn't mean we aren't deserving of, um, of love and happiness. I totally agree. You have no idea how I agree so much with that. Um, so with that, I want to say thank you so, so much for doing this interview. I'm so delighted to get to talk to you. Um, I've been following your career you since go. the beginning. Um, I feel the same. It's like since Crimson and, and, and when you emailed, I was like, uh, yeah, it only took me so long to reply because a stupid day job. I didn't check my email for a while. <laughs> 
<laughs> no worries. I may have emailed you before I traveled and then I travel and then I have jet lag. And then I'm like, oh, I, should, I didn't check my email today. I'm going to even get into it. My son makes fun of me because he was like, you're always traveling. Like I need your life one day. Like, <laughs> That's what I do with my left brain. Like right now I'm thinking about going to Iceland and I'm like, but the logistics of getting there from Los Angeles is more complicated than, than, than apparently San Francisco or something else. So then I'm like, they're like, oh, we can book on two different airlines. And all I can think of is, but then I have to get my luggage and then roll it across somewhere else. Exactly. Right. I was just like, so, so this is like where my brain is now. Like, what are the logistics of doing this so that I don't lose my luggage or my sanity? Um, right. But no, no worries. Thank you so, so much. And I will follow you. And you know, I'm going to go like download the women's fiction books right at this moment. <laughs> this, this is apparently how my, my afternoon is going to be spent. Um, I thank you in advance. And I, I actually, I just read the, um, yesterday. I don't know. Some, there's so much. I went biking and then I did something else, but then yesterday I read the first of your ghost hunter series. Um, I have a lot of thoughts awesome. about good-looking men with dimples, but we'll just get back to that some other time. Um, <laughs> I, as do I. But, I was like, and they're based off, like, loosely based off of the ghost book. So I was like, might have got to write these dudes in a book. But anyway. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, but then I was like, oh, in a special edition. So that's that's how yesterday went. I was like, thank God the library has this amazingly thing for me instantaneously. I'm so thrilled. Yes. Um, Thank you, Library. Thank you. But now I'm going to go um, download the other books. So <laughs> anyway, so that's how my afternoon is going to go. I hope your, um, I know you're in a different time zone. Um, your evening includes writing, but I do want to thank you so much for this. And I want to say that I'm so delighted with your success and your writing. I love it when you're like, find your books like in Target or whatever, Walmart or whatever. And I'm like, look at her. It's just, it's so exciting for me. Um, it just makes me incredibly like proud and warm, fuzzy feelings. Um, so um, I know I never comment because I'm not that person, but I'm like, I am so happy. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just like, I'm just, I'm just sitting at home and look how happy I am. And then, <laughs> then I go about my day. Um, so thank you for that. Continue doing what you're doing. And thank you so much for speaking with me and all of my listeners. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. If you ever want me to come back and just chat about whatever, always willing. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. This has been a time to thrill with your host, Amy Austin. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll share, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It will help others to find and enjoy my conversations with brilliant creators. Also, please hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app. In addition to hosting this podcast, I am also the author of the Nicole Long series of legal thrillers. The first two books in the Nicole Long series are now live. You can download Outcry Witness and Major Crimes to your e-reader right now. I'm also the author of the Casey Court series of legal thrillers. These titles are available where other books are sold, your local library, and also an audiobook. You can also follow me on Instagram at ThrillerPod. You can find me on Facebook at Legal Thriller Author or A Time to Thrill. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back soon with more great conversations.